The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Nate, I didn't, uh, I didn't mean for you to say the 50-year thing, but that's uh, thank you very much. It was so good to see you here. I bring greetings from my wife. You know, what's, what's really kind of like a little unnerving for me is that uh, I thought this morning, I said, well, you know, um, you all weren't even born when I was here. And then I thought some of your parents weren't even born when I was here. So that's, that's kind of weird, isn't it? My wife and I, uh, uh, we celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary this year. That's right. She, she's a joy of my life. I met her, I met her right here. And uh, um, this true story, I tell the story whenever I get up here, I, uh, the, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, about two weeks or so before I came back on campus, my high school sweetheart broke up with me. Yeah, that's right. It, it was painful. She kicked me to the curb, you know. Can you imagine somebody getting rid of all of this? Yeah, yeah. yeah you say, yeah, I can see that. But uh, so at any rate, and so I was in my dorm room. This is a true story. I was in my dorm room praying. I got, just got back on campus, first day back on campus. I was, I was praying, God, no more women. They mess you up every time. I'm hurting, and I need healing here. And so I'm going to stay focused on you and me, Jesus, this semester. I'm not going to be distracted or deterred or disrupted in any way and all of this. And so people who know me know that when my mind's made up, I can be fairly focused. And so I got up off my knees, my heart and mind filled with this deep-seated, stalwart, single commitment to Jesus not to be distracted or deterred in any way, straight at him. And so I went to one of the buildings on campus, opened the door, and there was this new young lady on campus, and I don't know what happened to me. I got healed instantly. It's like, it was a miracle. And uh, so she was new on campus, and my mama taught me to be hospitable to strangers, and so this kind of thing, and so I said, what's your name? She told me the name. My name is Karen Williams. I said, I'm Crawford Loritz, and I'm your official tour guide, and so I've been showing her around now for 50 years, and uh, yeah, now she's actually been showing me around for 50 years. If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If daddy ain't happy, nobody cares, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to get down to business here this morning. How do you not be branded by discouragement? How do you not be branded by discouragement? The truth of the matter is, all of us, every last one of us, if you're older than three or four years old, you're going you're gonna to face discouragement. It doesn't make any difference. Even for those of us who are high-control people, we have all kinds of scenarios. We believe in controlling the eventualities in our lives, and if this happens, then that will happen. I'm going to figure this plan out and all this stuff, and we've got it written in cement. But the truth of the matter is, we control categorically absolutely nothing. Every last one of us, we're one text message away, one voicemail away, one email away from disaster. We don't control the eventualities in our lives. So it's a ridiculous consideration to say that I, I'm not going to ever be discouraged. That's nonsense. You will be discouraged. You are going to be discouraged. The critical question is, how are you going to handle your discouragements? How are you going to handle it when the wind is knocked out of you? When you get that piece of information, you say, oh, crud, man, what in the world? I, what are you going to do? 
We've all met people that have a permanent cloud over them. And when you're in their presence and you walk away, you wonder, well, who hurt them? It's almost as if they're afraid to trust. They're afraid to hope. They're afraid to move forward because they've gotten a wind knocked out of them. Well, how do you not be that person? How do you handle discouragement? Now, I want to back up a little bit and give a little bit of context here, a little parentheses. Uh, there are three words that we use interchangeably that are significantly different, but we use them interchangeably, but they are very different. Disappointment, discouragement, and depression. Uh, disappointment means just what it says. It, it, it means that an expectation has not been met. You're going to get disappointed every single day. Somebody didn't show up on time. They didn't return the phone call. This didn't happen. Oops, I forgot about studying for this or whatever. Doesn't mean that you're in a fetal position. It doesn't mean that the wind's been knocked out. It just means that an expectation has not been met. You're disappointed in life, and it ain't doing anything if you're not disappointed. So you're going to be disappointed. Let me skip over discouragement to depression. Uh, I think it's a terrible thing. Don't use the, the discouragement and depression. They're not synonymous. They're, they're very different. Depression means, now this is a little bit above my pay grade because I don't have any training in clinical psychology. However, there are two big buckets of depression. There's situational, circumstantial depression, and then there's clinical depression. Well, what's the signature of both of them is, is that you've been thrust beneath the hope line. The signature of depression is that you've lost hope. You can't get the hope. You know, once a person said it's like anger turned inward. And it's just downward funk and this is happening. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And then it immobilizes you. And let me just say here, if you're struggling with depression, you must, 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 must make yourself do what is counterintuitive. You've got to do what you desperately don't feel like doing, and that is reach out beyond yourself and get help. There's nothing wrong with getting help. You've lost objectivity. You need people to help, help catalyze and give greater parameters to your thinking. Now, getting back to discouragement. Discouragement is more than your garden variety disappointment. It is not depression. However, it is the gateway to depression if it's not handled right. Discouragement means it just, the wind's been knocked out of you. You're dragging anchor. You took a gut punch on something. Going, Phew. But the question is, how do I not allow that to define me? How do I not allow it to define me? Your emotions are great drivers, but they're, I mean, great passengers, but they're horrible drivers. Horrible drivers. All change in life, hear me on this, all life change is visceral at the level of the will. It's at the level of the will. Life change takes place not just thinking right, although that's the beginning, and not just believing right, although that's the beginning. And not just seeing things correctly, although that's the beginning. All life change has to do with your will speaking to your emotions to stay within the context of your mind and determination. It has to do with what are you choosing to do. So I've discovered, and uh, 
And you got to be careful listening to preachers. We, we'll list you to death here, but I'm going to give you a list. Um, I've discovered that there are five critical choices. Now, this comes out of my own experience. Five choices and decisions you must make in order for that discouragement not to stick to you. What do you decide to do? What choices are you going to make? What are you going to do? You've gotten the wind knocked out of you. You don't like this information. Your feelings have gotten hurt. You're upset about something. That relationship didn't go where it's supposed to go. You got, what are you going to do? Garden variety, what are you, you going to do? You need to make these five critical choices. The first decision that you have to make when discouragement comes knocking on your door, trespassing your domain, you open your inbox and you go, hoo hoo. The first decision that you have to make, first choice you have to make is that you have to choose, choose, choose truth. You have to choose truth. And I mean truth in two ways. Obviously, truth about the circumstance, truth about the situation. Denial will put you in prison. Denial will drive you toward depression. And I know many of us are conflict averse and we don't like facing unhealthy information and this kind of thing, but trust me, trust me, nothing ever good happens when you deny reality. So you have to, you have to, you have to face the truth about the situation. Uh, what I've discovered in my life that when I get a piece of bad news, uh, often a good night's rest is helpful. If I, if I act on it immediately, my action will not be a response, it'll be a reaction. And typically, it will be excessive and exaggerated. So a good night's rest, normally the next morning, usually it's not as bad as I thought it was. Frankly, sometimes it's worse. But a good night's rest. <laughs> but, but, but secondly, and this is most importantly, we, we have to choose the truth of God's word. You have to choose the truth of God's word. Now, 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 listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This is one of my pet peeves, and I've pastored for years and dealt with Christians for years. One of my, one of my pet peeves about Christian, Christians in this culture right now is that there's this growing trend to use the Bible as a point of reference and not as a context of our lives. Where we make scurries and furries and whatever you want to call it back to the bible when between a rock and a hard place but you've got to decide you've got to decide is this book going to be the context of your life or is it just going to be a point of reference god wrote a book god wrote a book this is not a collection of inspirational statements and sayings and motivational speak and uh, copy for hallmark greeting cards god wrote a book and the psalmist says in Psalm 119, if I would summarize that, that, that your word gives me life in my affliction. And so the very first thing you need to do when, when the wind has been knocked out of you, before you go to your contact lists, drop on your knees and open this book and allow God to speak to your circumstance. Was that therein lies hope. The second thing we need to do when... When discouragement hits us and visits us and it's going to come to every last one of our addresses multiple times, multiple times in life. Well, you've you got to choose. You better choose truth. Secondly, now you're going to think I've lost my ever-loving mind with this one. 
you have to choose, choose, choose joy. You say, hold up, buddy. Isn't joy an involuntary response? Isn't joy a, a response to great information and circumstances? Therein lies a problem. Did you realize that the Bible commands emotions? Seriously, I'm not, I'm not being funny. The Bible commands emotions. You've heard it. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. Uh, Greek text, it could have been a translation. Stop being anxious. But in everything we're praying supplications. The Bible commands joy. He said, well, how can it do that? Listen to Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, unconditionally. And again, I will say, rejoice. Do you know where he wrote that? Do you know where he wrote that? Right? He wrote that in jail. And he was in jail for trumped up charges. They lied on him. He knew that probably it wasn't going to end well for him. History tells us he was decapitated. Not only that, he understood the reality. He responds to something there in earlier in, oh, what is that? Over oh, in chapter 2, they're pimping off his ministry now. And you're saying, Paul, how can you, how can you say that? Are you living in some type of denial? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. I can't help but think that Paul may have been thinking about how the church of Philippi got started. Hang in there, I'm going somewhere. Acts chapter 16, right? He recruits Silas to go with him on this summer missionary trip to Macedonia, right? And Silas said, yeah, this sounds like a nice little gig here. I'll go with you. I understand it's got some nice little sites and restaurants there, and we'll share the gospel a little bit, and and they'll go right, they'll come back, and we're foodies. We'll go visit some of the things there, and we'll write a little prayer blog back to our church because they gave us some support to go on this thing, so it should be nice. So they get there, right? They're sharing the gospel. And this woman is following Paul, and she's demon-possessed, and she's saying all this stuff. I love this. I love this text. I have a demented sense of humor, but I so identify with Paul. The, the passage says that Paul, this girl keeps following him. Paul got annoyed. Sounds like me. He got annoyed. And he turned around and cast a demon out. Well, the stuff hits the fan, right? So now everybody's upset at them. And the text says that they beat them. We, we ain't talking about just being shoved around, right, or being roughed up a little bit. They beat them. We're talking about contusions, maybe a broken eye socket. This ain't pretty, all right? There were not, no justice advocates there. And they threw him in jail. And if I'm silent sitting in the corner of the jail, and we, and we ain't talking about some white-collar prison camp, they throw him in jail. If I'm silent, I'm looking at Paul and saying, hey, hold up, man. I didn't sign up for this. We, 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 we didn't do anything wrong. Why are we here? I can't even see you, man. My eyes are swollen. You know what they're doing? Hear me on this. It's going to help somebody. You know what they're doing? <laughs> they're, in the, they're in the corner of the jail singing and praying. 
How could they do that? Hear me. Hear me. Because joy in the scriptures is always tied to that which could never be affected. Did you hear what I said? Our problem is that our, our Christianity is too horizontal and too transactional. It is too conditional. Our Christianity must be vertical, for it is lodged in that which can never be affected. No one can take away your eternal salvation. No one can take heaven from you. No one can withdraw the Spirit of God from you. Nobody can do that. So when all hell breaks loose in your life, you choose and you focus on that which can never be affected, and you take joy in that. So what do you do when discouragement comes trespassing your domain, messing up with your plans, and you, don't, you, didn't, you didn't sign up for this? You choose truth. You don't lie to yourself. But you bring yourself under the canopy of God's voice. You choose joy. Then thirdly, you choose, you choose, you choose faith. Faith. Sometimes prolonged discouragement is evidence of idolatry. That is, that your well-being was too attached to outcomes. And you choose faith. Faith. Now, faith in the Bible is not denial. I, 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 I have a little personal policy for years. I, 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 don't, I don't mention names of people that I disagree with publicly and this kind of thing, and I'm not going to do that, that now, but I am going to kind of blast at a certain brand of theology that's screwing up Christians, right? Be careful who you listen to on TV and these folks who are saying, well, uh, it's, 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 your, it's, your, it's your positive confession. Don't claim that you're sick. The Bible never, ever, 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 ever says that faith is denial. I'm not sick. I don't, I'm not claiming that. Well, you just threw up all over the house and everything, so who did that? Casper the friendly ghost? Somebody got invited? Who, 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 who did that? You see how stupid that is? You just got fired from your job. You don't have any money. I'm not claiming that I'm broke. Yeah. Tell that to somebody else. <laughs> it never denies that. But what faith does in the Bible, it defies it. It doesn't deny it. It defies it. It looks through that to see God as being greater than. That's why the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's technically not a definition of faith. It is a description of faith. Furthermore, he says in verse 6 in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. And then he gives you those biographical snapshots of great men and women of God who kept moving through hellacious circumstances. And by the way, as you read those biographical snapshots, they did not deny the reality of what they were facing. They saw God as being greater than that. But not only is faith in the Bible, uh, 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 this, this, this defiance, but faith in the Bible is desperation. Notice I did not say despair. It is desperation, not despair. And often God will allow me to get discouraged and have things cave in on me 
to show me that I'm not as hungry for him as I should be. Oh, Crawford, things have got kind of predictable, huh? Yeah, you know a few people that return your phone call? You got your little problem-solving scenarios. Yeah? Good. Fix this one, buddy. How desperate are you for Jesus? Some of us are more competent than we should be. Faith means I'm desperate for him. Classic illustration is Luke chapter 8, that narrative there about the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, right? She was hemorrhaging for 12 long years. Spent everything that she had, right? I think chronologically, if I'm correct, that that takes place in the first year and a half or two years of our Lord's earthly ministry while all the groupies and people were still going with him. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. You have this scene with Jesus and his entourage coming down the road, and this lady hears about this, and, and I'm not exaggerating here. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands of people there. His disciples are doing crowd control. And this lady knows that Jesus is our only hope. And she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years and spent everything that she had. She's probably Jewish, and this is the reason why she was... She said to herself, if I, could just, if I could just touch the fringe of this garment. You say, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, well, see, according to the Levitical Code, she was, she was unclean. She needed to be inconspicuous. She couldn't come in contact with the rabbi. And yet she had to get to Jesus. All these people are crowded around Jesus. They're bumping up against them. Disciples, again, they're doing crowd control. But this woman is on her knees. She's, I, can just, I can just see her snaking through. I don't want anybody to see me, but i got to get to Jesus. And she's going through all these ankles and legs and what have you. And she gets to the fringe. And she touches the fringe. Listen to what Jesus said. Yes, Drama. Love it. Love it, man. Thank you. I'll take you to lunch. Okay. <laughs> what did she say? Listen, hear me, hear me, hear me. No, seriously. Listen, listen, listen. What does Jesus say? Listen to what he said. He said, who, who, who touched me? And Peter, this, this is hilarious. I know I have a demanded sense of humor, but I, this is funny. I think this is one of the funniest lines in the whole New Testament. Peter, you know, they're doing crowd control. All these people are bumping up at him. Peter's going, um, <laughs> not a good answer here. <laughs> this is, uh, a lot of people have been kind of like, you, you know? Don't mean to be disrespectful. And in so many words, listen to what Jesus said. No, 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 no. You don't get it, Peter. They handled me, but she touched me. Some of us, Jesus is only one of many options for us. And you got to get to the place in your walk with God where Jesus is everything. Everything. There is no deliverance apart from Jesus. 
So you got to choose desperation. How hungry are you for him? Quickly, I heard him land the plane here. So, you don't want to be branded by discouragement, but it comes knocking on your door. Where did that come from? I got some decisions to make or else this is going to sweep me away. So I need to choose truth. I need to choose joy. I need to choose faith. Now here's this fourth one. I have to choose, choose, choose community. I have to choose community. Community in the New Testament, I did a series at our church uh, some years back on, all, on the one another's in the New Testament, particularly in Pauline, uh, the, the epistles here, and, and you, can put, you can put community into these two buckets here. From a relational perspective, there's another representative uh, 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 purpose for community. We reflect the inner Trinitarian love of the, 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 the Trinity's love for one another in human history, and that's a whole no, another sermon. But from a relational perspective, there, there, there are two big buckets for community, two big reasons for community. One is companionship, and the other one is identification. Companionship can be summarized in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. God has no independent contractors when it comes to Christianity. There's no such thing as an independent Christian. And that, that's a contradiction in terms. It was a late Chuck Colson who made this statement. He took some heat for it, but I, you know, it hits good theology. He said, you can't have the church as your, you can't have God as your father without having the church as your mother. In other words, when you came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he placed us in community. And the reason why we're in community is so that we might experience the manifest presence of God coming from one another. Let people love you. Now, listen to me. I know that we are in different personalities, and this, you know, most people are surprised when I make this statement. Probably I'm sharing too much information here, but I, most people think, because I'm with crowds of people, and I pass at a very large church and all this other stuff all the time, most people mistakenly think that I'm an extrovert. I'm not an extrovert. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm not joking. I'm an introvert who loves people. I do love people. I'm not shy. I'm not, I'm, hopefully, I'm not rude. I enjoy interaction. I enjoy conversation. But here's the differentiation. I don't get my energy from people. My assistant, when people call uh, Jim Jenks, they call my assistant, and, and he handles my schedule, and he says, well, you know, what is Crawford like? Can we, can we take him on a tour? I mean, can we do this for him? Can we do that? He says, oh, the dude's low maintenance, <laughs> you know? Just put him in a hotel room. They ain't got nothing crawling on him, and he's cool. You know, just, <laughs> just, but I want to talk to those of you who are introverts like me. So when I get a piece of information that is shattering, my initial, re, my initial reaction is to withdraw and stand back and to keep my own counsel. That's okay for a while. But don't take another lap around Mount Sinai in isolation. Hear me on this. Isolation always, always, always breeds distortion. Always breeds distortion. 
You need people to help calibrate your thinking. And you need to find people that you trust to say, look, I'm hurting here. This has happened. So you have companionship, but then you have identification. That's found in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let people weep with you. Stop all of this nonsense of projecting an image that you're not needing. You're not the fourth member of the Trinity. All of us are screwed up. All of us are jacked up. All of us got, we're, we're, we're just, we're trying to get there. And sometimes God lets things unravel because we've been too self-assured. And the fourth and the final one is this. And the fifth one, actually. So, but what do you do? What do you do when you get that piece of information? You, you, you choose truth. You choose joy. You choose faith. You choose community. But I don't want to pose this, and this is real. This is real. And if you're not in it now, wait till you graduate and life gets really busy for you. Sometimes you take a gut punch and you can't stop. There's nobody around to, to answer your phone call or your email, your text message. And it's complicated. And it's not a pride piece. But what do you do? I'm going to be really transparent with you. Uh, some years ago, well, a horrible, horrible, horrible thing happened to our oldest daughter. It was not her fault. Not her fault. And, uh, and because of the individual involved in all of this and a very high-profile person um, and the sensitivities around this, her children and my grandkids, um, it was not appropriate for a time for us to share what had taken place. It's not a pride thing. It's just that there were too many moving parts and it was not appropriate. Just not appropriate. And I got to tell you, uh, I, I'm a fixer, especially when it comes to my daughters. But I couldn't fix this. It was also a season in my life where I, I, I couldn't pull back from ministry. There wasn't no crazy Messiah complex that I had. But I, it, just, it was just one of those weird times. And I can recall pulling up for our early service at our church a number of Sundays during that season, sitting in my car, the tears flowing down my cheeks. God, I kind of feel like preaching. And I would say, but Holy Spirit, please, one more time. One more time. And he did it. And some of you will be in that situation. I, I hate to inform you, but that's just life. That is just life. So what do you do then? You choose service. Listen to these words here. 
Psalm 126, beginning at verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, the southern arid part of Israel. Then he said, now listen, this is poetic. Those who sow in tears. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I have listened to some of those messages during that season. And honestly, I didn't feel like preaching. But those are some of the best messages I've ever preached in my life. Why? Because the Spirit of God carried me. And it's going to happen in your life. And your tears in this text, they're pictured as if it's holy fertilizer. That's dripping down your face, dripping down your chin, onto the ground where you're sowing the seed. And God says, you just do what I tell you to do. Take another step. Take another step. Take another step. Take another step. And you look back and there's a bumper crop. And you say, look at God. So who told you to stop? Who told you to quit? Our God is a God of life. And if God can raise a dead Jesus, he can deal with any disappointment and discouragement that will ever come your way. But the question is, what are you willing to do? Just stand up. Holy Father, I pray in the name of your Son that your hand of blessing and favor will be over each one of these students here. May your smile be upon them, O God. May you give them strength. May you speak into every discouragement, every disappointment, and yes, yes, even the depression that some might be struggling with and wrestling with. Give them a vision of the ancients of days and his, 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 his attributes and his power. Work in them mightily. Uh, Give them what they need. Give us what we need, Father, to be faithful and to see you translate into reality everything that you've called us to be and to do. Give us a great day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.